Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Before you drift off into one of our meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to share with you one of the new opportunities for our listeners at The Mindful Movement. This is Sarah Raymond, and I'm so excited to announce the expansion of our coaching services to include two of my good friends and excellent coaches, Nikki Dyer and Laura Cannon. Both Nikki and Laura provide their own unique skill sets, allowing us to meet the needs of our growing audience. If you want to learn more, just follow the coaching link in the show notes. As always, we are grateful for your support and look forward to working with you. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement. I'm your host, Les Raymond. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of the podcast. Today's episode was really an awesome experience for me. I got to interview and chat with Krishna Das, a musician among many things, and for me, a great teacher. Through music and the practice of kirtan, a style of chanting, I have learned so much about myself and my ability to create, to like cultivate my own medicine through song in a way that I could have never imagined. Krishna Das has had a tremendous impact on me personally, and I, I never saw it coming. It was a surprising encounter when a friend of mine invited me to uh, hear him play live once, and I feel like it was a pivotal point in my own journey of healing and really just learning how to navigate life. And I feel like the day that I was in his presence, and learning to, I guess, lower my inhibitions and just enough to come out and sing in a public venue was this pivot point where I just changed my courses of life, my course in life, and I've really never been the same. And it was a real honor to get to sit down and talk to him. So, in fact, like, it's only maybe the second time in my life that I could ever recall a sense of being like starstruck. And even though, you know, he might not be like, many of you probably know who Krishna Das is, you know, maybe not the most famous kind of person, but man, he had such a powerful impact on me that when I found myself, even though it was via Zoom, kind of across a camera from him, I was like really nervous and a little shaky inside. I don't know if it shows, but inside I was, there was like a lot of anxiety because it really felt kind of surreal for me. Um, he's just had such a tremendous impact and I love his music. I don't really know any of the words he sings. It's a different language and there's something to that that I find really valuable that I do mention briefly in the interview. Um, but 
For those of you that already know who he is, I'm just glad to present this. And if you've never heard of Krishna Das, I highly recommend you checking out some of his work. He's a real artist and he's just such a giving person. I mean, it's, I've, I've heard once, I think it was Wayne Dyer uh, saying, the only thing you can do with your life is give it away. And man, what an expression of that concept that Krishna Das um, just embodies. It's really, uh, it's just amazing. I'm just so grateful that people like him exist to help others. And I'm grateful that our paths had crossed. And of course, I'm grateful that I got to chat with him. So thank you again for tuning in. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, that's it. All right, KD, thank you very much for joining me on the Mindful Movement Podcast. It is a real honor to be able to speak to you somewhat face-to-face here. Thank you. Thank you. So I have a lot of questions, but I'll have to manage these as um, there's limited time. But I wanted to start off by maybe telling the audience a little bit how I was introduced to your, uh, your singing okay. and what it's meant for me. So I, I run a gym. So the day job is like a gym environment. And several wow. years ago, I walk in. And a good friend of mine, Peter, uh, was in there who was like one of my coaches at the gym. He's, uh, he puts a song on. And I was like instantly mesmerized. Huh. Like I had never heard anything like this. And I don't know how to describe it. It was like the most beautiful, masculine, I don't know, like grandfather-esque voice just piercing through the room. Easy now. Easy now with their grandfather stuff. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what to think of it, but I was really distracted. Like I was no good to my clients in that moment. There was something like just oh. piercing through the room into my ear and it was speaking to me and I didn't know what it was saying. And I'm quite literally, I don't, I never know what you're saying and I don't want to know. I've noticed like <laughs> there's something about not knowing what those words mean uh-huh. that I find is very important. Like my mind doesn't attach any meaning and go chasing down ideas or thoughts. Sure. But um, I'm like, Peter, what is this? And oh, it's, it's Krishna Das. Uh, you never heard of it? And, um, and I, I hadn't. And then it wasn't long after, and this was just for some context, <clears throat> and the audience has heard this, but this was in a really rough time in my life. I had recently acquired Lyme disease and my physical health was at... Uh, really a low point. And because of that, my, you know, mental and emotional health, I was dealing with a lot of suffering. I've been very well practiced at um, creating excessive suffering between my left ear and my right ear. And, um, and there was a, and this was, so this was a kind of a dark time in my life. And shortly after this, maybe within a couple of weeks, Peter says, you're coming to town and he's going uh, with his sister to watch. And his sister was like a big fan. And he asked me to go and I wasn't really one to get out much. Um, I was I had a lot of anxiety at that time about like leaving the house, going for a car ride, like five minute drives were a little overwhelming for me. 
And, um, and it was in DC. So I live in Maryland, kind of right between Baltimore and DC. Mm-hmm. And this was, I think in the summer, I think it was around my, my birthday. And um, so I went and I show up and I have no idea what I'm going to. Like based on your music, I'm envisioning people frolicking around, you know, I'm, I'm creating preconceived ideas about like old Grateful Dead concerts I would go to or something. I didn't know what to expect. So I walk into an auditorium and they hand you a sheet, like a song sheet with mm-hmm. words. I don't know what any of these were. I don't even know what language it is at the time. And, um, and people start singing. So it's, it's kind of implied that like, you are very welcome to sing along. And I'm definitely not used to singing. I've never prided myself on my voice. And it's, you know, I wouldn't feel good about what that would do to the people around me if I was singing. It was just not something I've ever done. Um, And it's fun. It's kind of ironic because my buddy that dragged me there, like he didn't take part at all. Like he brought some girls with him that he was very interested in. And he seemed to be kind of captivated by them the whole time. And like while that was going on, I don't know where I went, but I went somewhere Mm. and I just followed along. And for the first time, really, in my adult life, I was just singing. Um, And I don't know if I was like getting the words right. I don't even know if I was on the right song, like (laughs) list. And then um, this went on for I guess it was about an hour and a half, two hours, give or take. And um, and the sound in that room permeated my body like it wasn't just the act of hearing music there was this felt sense of music and it was a reminder that music is some you know it's a vibratory thing and it the body was resonating with it or some something was happening and I left there and we're walking to the parking lot and I don't even know I can't really put in words I was just like what the fuck just happened like, what did I just experience? Where did I just go? I, was, I felt like I walked out of that auditorium, that building, kind of a, a different organism than from when I walked in. And from that point on, it's been really a regular part of my practice. So, um, and it's been a great teacher for me. You know, one of the things that the mindful movement that we really try to help folks with is, is really empowering people to play like a larger role in their sense of well-being. And there's lots of tools that we could use to do that. And this was a great lesson for me that like, I am the ultimate tool. Like, yeah, you facilitated it. I was inspired by the production and, you know, the cumulative effect of all the things you've done up to that point being manifested in that moment for me to tap into. But like, it taught me that I, I can do that. And like, I could create this physiological, physiological change just from singing. And the key was to just do it. Like, I didn't need to know what I was saying. Um, you know, there was no need to think about it. Just, just begin. And um, I've really <clears throat> leaned on that practice. And I, I want to thank you for your role in helping me discover it. It's, uh, it's really been meaningful, especially at times where I don't know uh, if suffering is something that we can manage, but you know, for lack of better words, as I've kind of danced my journey of life with all its obstacles that it's presented, it's been one of those tools that's been an anchor for me. So I thank you 
for what you've done to allow folks like me to learn those lessons. Yeah, thank you. Thanks very much. Um, yeah. So the style of singing is called kirtan. Am I pronouncing that right? Let's see. Kirtan, yeah. Kirtan. Can you maybe enlighten us with like some context of maybe what that means and if you're up for it, maybe how <coughs> you got into it? Yeah. Uh, uh, <clears throat> let's see, where to start? Well, simply kirtan means um, call and response chanting. The leader usually call, it's usually call and response. So the, uh, the leader sings a line and then the, the group responds and goes back and forth, back and forth. The difference, be, the why it's called kirtan and not just singing, or why it's called chanting and not just singing, is that what we're singing, what I sing mostly, uh, in India is called the names of God, the, the, the divine name, the name of that place within us that is true love, real love. Uh, and it's called Namasankirtan, which means the repetition of these names. So, <clears throat> while you're absolutely right and about it doesn't seem necessary to understand the meaning of the words, that's perfect because the true meaning of these names is beyond anything that we could conceive in our, in our minds. It a, it's a comes from a deeper place. So even though I sing them and I've lived in them, I don't know what they really mean. You know, I know what the storyline involved with them is, because there's always a storyline. But the true meaning is your own true nature. We're, we're invoking the deepest place within us. Deeper than thoughts and emotions and all the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves. And there's a, you know, the, just like the sun has, transmits energy and light, our true nature, our, you could say our soul, also transmits a different type of light, consciousness, awareness, presence. And so these are the names of that place. And since they're the sound form of what ultimately is formless, but also has form. So the practice is very simple. You just keep going on repeating. One time, first time I sang in L.A. Uh, was uh, very interesting. The, all these Indian musicians, they asked me to open this big concert. And I said, why? What's wrong with you? But they let me, they wanted me to do it, so I did it. So I got my first review in the papers. This guy writes, he says, well, the, the concert was opened by this guy, Krishnadas, this American guy. You know, he looked like a dentist. And, and, and everything he sang was so repetitive. You know, I thought, well, at least he was listening, you know. <laughs> but repetition is very important in, term, in this practice because you're, you're tuning, you're tuning, you're fine-tuning, you're moving in an a, a inner direction into your own awareness, into your own heart. 
Uh, and through the repetition, it's a, pra- it's a, it's a, a concentration practice, shamatha practice. But there's more to it from their, the way they describe it, the way it's described traditionally. Uh, they say in India, the name and what is named are not actually different. So if we were able to be fully present as we repeated one of these names, I mean, you know, locked, then we would have a direct experience of reality. The fact that we don't have that experience is, re- is reflective of our, the, how distracted we are and how fragmented we are. So that's why repetition is important. You keep doing it over and over, and you try to do it wholeheartedly. And it's, of course, it's not about music at all. Like you said, it is medicine. You know, it's, when you need, when a kid is sick and needs medicine, you have to hide that medicine in a sweet syrup because they, otherwise they won't take it. You know, so they take it. Now, is it the syrup that cures the disease? No, it's the medicine. So the name or the chant or the mantra is the medicine and the music is the uh, medium through which it's transmitted in a sense. And you don't have to know what it means because anything you think about it isn't what it is anyhow. So you're free of having to understand in your mind anything. You're, and you can feel then, you can bypass that whole realm of concepts and and uh, habitual identifications and stuff like that. Yeah, I find that when I practice, sometimes, you know, like there's a zone that you get into not knowingly, you're not aware when it's happening, <coughs> but you notice maybe at the end of the song that is as if, as if you like lost time. And, you know, I've been meditating for a while, so I've experienced this here and there when you hit your stride. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't really plan for it, but some sessions of meditation, it's just just the stars align or something. Mm-hmm. Or I've gotten it from breath work practices or even plant medicine ceremonies. And um, it's this weird thing of, like, where you don't know when it's happening, but as soon as it's done, it's like, oh, where where did I just go? And... I feel like the same experience can be invoked from this, from just this chanting. And um, I don't know if... Absolutely. I mean, this is a practice that's been done for thousands of years in every spiritual tradition, mantra, or this type of, any kind of chanting is done because just what you just, what you just said happens. You, and from the way I, dis- the way I think about it uh, or describe it is that there's a, the silence becomes palpable at the end, at the end of a chant. You, you, all of a sudden there's this, this space that you weren't aware of. But you gen, in some sense, you, you could say you generated that space, but really it's, it's you, you, um, you removed what was blocking that space with the chanting temporarily so that when you at the end of the chant you you can really feel you become aware of this silence the space in which everything is actually held like it's always there and you're just tapping in to you're getting a glimpse of it it's always here yeah 
right here all the time. So do you get a sense that what you experience in that moment is a, a closer look at reality and everything else is essentially a distraction? Is, is that <coughs> what you're pointing towards? Well, you know, I don't think about it. <laughs> I, get, I get that sense. It's funny. I listen to, um, I guess you give uh, some talks. I don't know if those talks have a kind of a label to them, but, um, you know, there's some Q&A involved. Yeah. And many of the questions over the years that I've heard people ask you is, you know, about something that points to something specific about a song or, you know, which song, which chant for this, which for that, yeah. uh, what does this mean? And the sense I get from you is like, it, none of that really matters. None of that really matters. You know, just, just yeah. push go. Just. What matters is to do the practice. Yeah. To do the practice, yeah. yeah. Uh, also to describe the practice again, you know, first let me say as a disclaimer, every tradition has their own way of sharing these practices. Some traditions have set rules with visualizations and, and purification rituals you have to do, you know, before you do the practice, all this. My guru was not like that. And he just said, you know, just sing, just chant, just do it. Uh, he didn't, and so what I do, that's the way I share it. I, there's no, and I simply say you chant, you sing, and when you notice that you haven't been paying attention, you sing. When you notice that you're thinking, you release it, you come back again and again and again and again and endlessly pretty much. So the practice is very simple and because it's so simple, it's very, it can be a very powerful experience. And aside, and aside from that, there's also a transmission involved because this gentleman behind me here, he's, that's what people feel when I sing. That's the way I, that's, that's my model, not yours necessarily, but gotcha. that's my model. And so... Uh, so you feel like you're, you're like a conduit for his voice, for your teacher's voice? I'm more like a radio. You know, he turns it on, he turns it off, and radio doesn't know shit about anything. It just <laughs> just goes on and off with it, you know. Gotcha. So that saves me from a lot of bullshit. <laughs> and I, I purposely, normally for a podcast interview, Katie, I, I'll do like a little research, you know, uh -huh. so I don't sound too much like an idiot or something. But I uh -huh. intentionally did not for, for this one. I... I almost was afraid to spoil anything. I didn't want to read any internet words. I, like, your, your voice has a real meaning to me, and it's played a big impact in my life these last few years. Huh. And I, I didn't want to mess with it, essentially, <laughs> if that makes I, I, sense. Yeah, no, that's, um, I, that's beautiful, yeah. But I, now that I have you here, and I could maybe get some from the horse's mouth, I guess. Um, <laughs> Could you sh share a little bit about how you you got into this and what inspired you? Sure, sure, sure. I'd been interested in this stuff even in high school. 
back in the dark ages, you know. Um, <clears throat> reading about Buddhism and Zen. And then a friend of mine gave me uh, the Gospel of Ramakrishna, which I don't know if you know that book. It's a, Ramakrishna was a great saint in the 1800s. And he, he was a real ecstatic. And, and he would go into these samadhis and uh, he, and also he was also an enlightened a jnani. He was also an enlightened being, but he had both sides of bhakti, devotional love, and wisdom practices. He had it all. So there's this book called the Gospel, which is like this guy, one of his disciples. We used to go home and write down everything that was said that day, and then later on they put this big book together. So that reading about this, whoa. You know, it was like, wow. And then, of course, Autobiography of a Yogi came my way, which was very powerful for me. Everything I read, I went, yeah, right. You know, it was so familiar. And so I was, you know, and then so I was doing this and that and yoga practice and, and all kinds of crazy stuff at the time. And then I met Ramdas when he had just come back from his first trip to India. And that was it. I walked into the room where he was sitting. I went up to see him privately. Uh, he was living up at his father's uh, place up in New Hampshire. So I drove up there, having heard about him from some friends I live with. But when I walked into that room, without eye contact, without a word being spoken, just walked into the room, I had this epiphany where immediately I knew that whatever it was that I was looking for was real. It was real. It was in the world and you could find it. It was, and that changed, that moment was the beginning of the rest of my life. There's been a couple of those moments, beginnings, but that was really the first moment where everything changed for me. Because up until that point, you know, I read some books. Yeah, okay, wow, wow. But now I walked into that room and I had this visceral, powerful feeling out of the blue that, hey, this is real. This is not just books. This is real. And that was, that was a really big thing. So then Ramdas and I became very close. And... Uh, after about a year and a half of hanging out with him, I went to meet the guru in India. And I recognized that what I was feeling was, was him. Neem Karoli Baba is his name. What I was feeling was him. And so he, kept, he allowed me to stay almost three years with him there. So how old were you at that time? I was, when I left for India, I was 23. And I was never coming back. I sold everything I had, I gave away, I gave my jeans away, I sold my guitar, my car, you know, I gave everything away, I was not coming back. After two and a half years, he looked at me one day and said, go back, you have to go back, you have, a, you have attachment, you have to go, Ciao. go. <laughs> so That's I had funny. to come back. And he was, it was, I mean, it was absolutely, you know, he knew it, he knew everything. I. I can say that and, you know, you can either believe it or not, that's up to you, but he knew everything, past, future, present, and 
more than that, he could do anything that, that had to be done for you. You know, the thing about these great beings, they only have one agenda, compassion for us, us idiots, you know, that know nothing. That's why they're here. They don't need to be here for themselves. They've finished. But out of compassion and kindness and what they call bodhicitta, which is a compassionate heart, enlightened mind, they stay here for us to show us what and help us. And do you think that's like uh, something they're born with or is that something that's cultivated through their own <clears throat> practice? But can anybody, is that, is that available to anybody? Absolutely, of course. It's available to anybody. It's a, everybody has it. We just don't know where it is and how to look for it. That's what practice is about. The path is learning where to look and how to look. Uh, and those beings that have already found it, they hang around, some of them hang around to help us on that, on that path. But of course, everybody has Buddha nature. Everybody has a soul. Without that, the soul is that energy life in the body. Without that, what is the body? When you die, the soul splits and, and goes and finds another body. But what, the, the corpse is just a, a pile of shit and pus and blood. That's, that's what this is. Without the soul, there's nothing in there. There's no life in there. There's no awareness. So when that, when the soul is, when that body is finished, it's working out all the karmas that brought it into existence. The soul goes and finds something else to do. Goes and has a cup of coffee down the block or something. So that's a big step. So you go overseas to dive in head first, really. Did, did you have support in that process, or did the people in your life think you were crazy at the time? I didn't tell the people in my life. Oh, I no mean, kidding. they knew I was going to India, but I never said to my parents that I'm never coming back. Oh, no way. Yeah, I just was gone. It was the 60s, man. It was different. <laughs> I guess so. And were you already interested in the singing component at that time, or is that something discovered there? No, I, w I was into music already, for sure. I was playing guitar and singing and, uh, you know, had, was very into music. Uh, but it wasn't bringing me any, it wasn't alleviating my pain. And nothing was working until this. That moment meeting Ramdas, I knew this, this is real, this will work, this is what I need, this is, this is. And there was no, even, there was not even the slightest thought of turning back. And when you know something, really know something, you know, it, you can pretend you don't know it, but you know you know it, you know. You can't, there's only so long you can actually fool yourself before you finally say, fuck it, I give up, I'm doing this, you know. But even with, I didn't even have that. I was just going full blast. I was what, so, so what was hungry it about? I'm sorry. Uh, what was it about Ramdas? I, I, you know, you say, oh, I've read some books. Like I've read some of his books. I've listened to some of his talks, and mm. you know, you don't have to go a very long stretch hearing him between these moments where he just describes something that you know, you know that you could have never described, and yeah. it's, um, yeah. and it's like, it's just like a perfect construction of words to describe the un, in, indescribable, yeah, he, something that is felt. He was truly brilliant uh, in that way. 
He was a real translator of spiritual concepts into to people to us, you know, who have no awareness of that or understanding. He, he really was a, a transmitter of those spiritual truths in his own unique way, from his own, through his own experience as a professor and, a, and an LSD experimenter and wild man, you know, and all that yeah. stuff. And he just had a lot of, his whole life was a, at some point became a very sincere journey and, and, you know, towards the truth. That was his main thing. He seemed and to be able to keep things so light, like, uh, like a playfulness, <clears throat> a humor. Yes, he, he could do that. Uh, he, he, he had a great sense of humor. We, but then, you know, about 20 years, 21 years before he died, he had a major stroke. And he, the last 20 years of his life, he's in a wheelchair and, and with this aphasia and couldn't speak very well. Mm. But those were the 20 years that he really did the most work on himself. It was extraordinary to watch him. Here's a guy who was an alpha being, you know, playing golf, sports cars, flying planes, blah, blah, blah. Harvard professor. And now he couldn't wipe his own ass. Couldn't, basically, and for many years could barely put a sentence together. And over the, and he, so he had to accept help. He had to, he had to conquer pride. He had to let go of anger. He had so much work to do just to, and deal with pain and uncomfortable, and neuropathy from diabetes. Uh, the, what he would go through in a day, I, I'll never go through. But he did it. He really overcame and became a, a, a very loving being. It was quite beautiful. And I used, to tease, I used to tease him a lot. I used to say, you finally become who we thought you were 40 years ago. <laughs> and he would laugh. I mean, we, we, we were friends for 50 years, so. Up and down, in and out, there was a lot of stuff that happened over 50 years. It's so special when you see, uh, you know, when a, when a human, as they grow older, like they don't stop growing. Like, yeah. you know, granted the obstacles that they deal with, you know, it's a different set of obstacles, but uh, maybe, you know, it's common and maybe it's a function of our culture, the way we treat older folks, like, you know, putting mm -hmm. them in to buildings, you know, like they're out of the home yeah. where, you know, it's yeah. a little different in other cultures, but yeah. which probably facilitates folks to kind of grow, just grow old as opposed to like growing into like becoming an elder where, you know, yeah, we don't, we don't respect elders in this culture. Yeah. It's a shame. Um, it's interesting. I, I was reading, I, I don't know how true this is. I hope it is. This, kind of a side topic, but it was a, uh, I think it was a culture in Africa somewhere where they had this practice where when a baby was very young, and I don't know exactly the age, but very, very young, first maybe year or two of its life, 
it's given to the grandparents for some period of time mm. to teach the elders, like to remind them mm. about like the lessons of life and like how to live almost to say, Hey, don't forget, like you have some of this in you too. It was really like a beautiful mm -hmm. practice. I wish I knew uh, more of the details of, of where it was. I read mm -hmm. it in passing. I was like, that's just uh, like a remarkable <clears throat> concept. But yeah, we got it a little backwards here. Unfortunately. Yeah, and in India, you know, and in most uh, native cultures, uh, the grandparents raise the children a lot because the parents are out there working in the fields most of the day, and the grandparents are too old to do that, so they'll be home, really raising the kids, the little and 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 one of my Indian families that I was very close with. The grandmother was like a goddess, you know, and she, she just had a, a quality of love that was so extraordinary, and she spent a lot of time raising the the, the grandchildren, you know, and and they benefit tremendously from that. So it's a little different than you described, but it's also it's a, you know, it's a. A give and take. So back to singing or chanting a little bit, so. I guess the idea is, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there's something inside of us, some like inherent um, love, some inherent quality that we all have and maybe we collectively share on some level that the chanting is, is really just a tool to create an opening so that it's like a portal inward uh, yeah you could say that yeah I, I I the way it's described in my lineage in a way you could say is that the mirror the, the heart is like a mirror and when we look out of our eyes you're actually looking in a mirror and there's a lot of dust on that mirror of the heart, they say. And if you look into a mirror that's covered with dust, what do you see? You see the dust. So all these practices are the practices for cleaning the mirror off of the dust. So that when the, mirror, the dust is gone, what you see is true, accurate, real. So right now, we're living in our subjective universe, all of us. Right. We're, and we think it's real, we think this is the way things are, but it's totally subjective. I mean, we all share a kind of a, way, a bandwidth so that we can you know, drive down the street and stop at a red light, et cetera, et cetera. But even so, in that bandwidth, each one of us is in our own subjective universe. Chanting and other spiritual practices clean the mirror of the heart and they free us from that subjective version of things and emotionally intellectually especially emotionally we get freed from all the the storylines that we believe so deeply and so so immediately without any question you know the stories about oh i'm not enough i'll never be this i'll never be that i'm this i'm that and how we hold ourselves in the world, how we 
project ourselves to other people, what we're trying to get. All this stuff is just storyline stuff. And we get freed from identifying with that and being controlled by it. So every time you come back to the chant, you've just... Well, actually, they've proven that there are neural pathways in the brain that get deepened by this, these practices, like a, a meditation practice. So every time you come back, that neural pathway is a little deeper. So the next time you come back, it's just this much easier. Of course, it's a not really def defi describable, but... I'm still waiting for my voice to get better, though. Yeah, that'll come. You have, <laughs> that'll, to, pra you have to practice in the bathtub. That's the only thing. It's funny. That's where I practice. Uh, yeah, right. It's funny you say that. I have an evening bath, and my family could tell you that's what I'm doing. They could, they could hear it. You know, so being so, you'll find that you'll find a note that will resonate with the room, depending on how much water's in the tub and how big the room is and what the what, like. You'll, fi you'll find if you like s start like slowly singing notes and like raising a higher, you'll finally hit a note where all of a sudden it'll go like woo. And that's the harmonic of that room. So you can have fun with that, you know. And you just, you try to relax. That's the whole thing. You know, you can't. Can't force it. You can't create what's not there, but you can also just relax your throat and your vocal cords and, and, the quality of what comes through your breath and your throat will, will open up as time goes on. Yeah. And I do notice there's, there's an ebb and ebb in the flow of, of the quality. It's not, it is not fixed. And, and after a few minutes, it, it does usually open up if I'm in a good place. And for, there's like a brief moment where I, I sound like maybe I'm a little better at it than I am or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, those are special moments. It's, it's amazing, like the idea of music. You know, you said bandwidth, and it's like, you're right. Everything is subjective, and we see such a small sliver. Like, our senses have developed to really bring in what's needed so that we could survive. It's not everything. We just have this assumption that, you know, reality is kind of as we see it. But, you know, we know that if... Um, a different animal, you know, if they study their like sensory organs, like their eyes, like they take in a different image. Mm -hmm. So who's to say which one's right? Like it's all there. <clears throat> We've just developed to take in the amount that's meaningful for, for like our species to, to continue, but it's, it's a sliver, but um, you know, it's, it's all energy um, in some form. And like, that's what, sound is it's like uh it's vibration it's vib vibrational information and yeah. you know like even the word i think i've heard the word universe you know it's it's unit it's one song it's like one big song being played and you know yeah. we're all we're all on some level being being played and yeah you know we have this ability to like interact with this this universe, this one collective song that's being expressed. And man, it's, it feels, I don't want to say important. It just, it feels amazing when you have a moment where you do feel like you've, you've tapped in and you're, you're kind of in the flow and riding that wave. And, um, 
you know, I think it's something that we could all use, you know, especially now everybody's kind of, you know, the stress knobs turned up a little bit in general, a little, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but, you know, it's something like kids, not like kid, you know, when we're young, we know that like singing and dancing is something that we want to do yeah. somewhere along the way, you know, we just, we just lose it. And man, it's mm -hmm. so nice to be reminded that, oh, it's still there. You can you can still do it. There's no rules. You got to, you know, maybe put your pride aside. You got to put your stories aside, you know, lower your inhibitions to get started, maybe. But yeah. Um, yeah. it's a it's a cool place to be. Yeah. I would um, you mentioned that you would be willing to share some of your art form with the audience. Uh, you up for maybe a short song so yeah, sure. the audience can hear. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, it, uh, the, the chanting practice and spiritual practice in general, I, I see them as ripening, ripening, ripening. We, it's not necessarily we have to know something, but these practices ripen our hearts, you know. And just like a fruit is ripened on the vine, on the tree, finally sweet enough, uh, it's like that for us. It, it's not so much learning, it's more about training and bringing our, our hearts out into the sun of love, really, and um, allowing that love to really, uh, really touch us. Because that's that's at the root of that's that real love is the connective um, the the space in which we live. Let's put it that way, and we all live in that yeah. space. So these, I'll just do a short chant: Shri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Jai Ram, Sita Ram. <clears throat> and these are in India. They call these these are the names of these great beings that incarnated on earth to remove negativity and suffering. And so by, but their true nature is no different than our true nature. But since they've accomplished, when we, we, when we invoke their presence or invoke them, we bring ourselves into that space. The space opens up for us. And uh, it's just a question of being not so much doing, really. So.
hard to express what that means. Man. What that means is, uh, I want to know what love is. <laughs> and I want you to show me. Yeah. <clears throat> um, music to soothe the savage beast. Thank you for your contribution. And thank you so much gracing us with your time today. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me. For those out there um, that want to hear more, I urge you to check out Katie's work and don't hold back. Don't, you know, don't be afraid to just open up the lungs and, and play along and see what happens. And then maybe share with us what you experienced and what you know. Katie, thank you very much. My pleasure. Nice to meet you. Um, see you too. And I hope one day we cross paths again. Okay. For the listeners out there, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed. Well, thanks again for listening to the conversation today with Krishna Das. Um, Pretty crazy to think that I was getting a private concert <laughs> by one of my favorite musicians there. So I hope you enjoyed that. I was in like la-la land in my head when he was singing. I felt like we were the only two people in the world. But um, just a great experience. So I'm glad that you guys were able to witness that. And of course, I'm, I'm very grateful that you're tuning in and listening to these. And I appreciate all the feedback I'm getting. Please, if you have any questions about the conversation today, uh, send them our way and I'll do my best to respond. And if it's a question for Krishna Das, I'll do my best to get him to respond. Uh, thank you again. If you think you know somebody that would also enjoy or maybe benefit from hearing this conversation, please send it their way. And if there's anybody you have in mind that you think would be a good fit for the Mindful Movement podcast, then I am, uh, I'm all ears. So uh, send those requests my way and I'll do whatever I can to reach out, see if it's a good fit. So again, I hope you enjoy. Thank you and I hope you have a great day.